Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today we are going to talk about hanging out. Really, just hanging out with your friends, enjoying their company, and maybe not doing much more than that. Increasingly, we all find that more and more difficult to do. And author Sheila Liming says that's a problem we can and should address. We'll welcome her to the show to tell us how to hang out better and hear from you about how you're connecting with friends these days. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm really glad you decided to join us today. When was the last time you just hung out with some friends? I don't mean at an event or some kind of scheduled meetup, not a dinner or a bar night or even a ball game, but just hang out on somebody's back porch or in their basement with people who you're comfortable just sitting around with, killing time. And here's another question. When was the last time you did that without your phone in your hand or your eyes on the screen? I think the answer for so many of us is, well, Not in a while, and maybe not in a long while. Most of us really want and even crave social connection. We want deep, long-lasting friendships. We're wired for those kinds of things. Those relationships are dynamic and can foster vulnerability, exploration, and meaning but they're not really easy to attain. And a recent Surgeon General report found that many adults today find themselves feeling pretty lonely, disconnected from other people, even as we have more technology than ever before that is supposedly aimed at making us feel more connected. So what's going on? Why aren't we able to hang out more? Why don't we have better friendships? We certainly work a lot as Americans, way more, in fact, than people do in other countries. And we've had a lot of worries these days. We're still coming off the great worry of the pandemic, the economic disruptions that attended the pandemic, the fast pace of work, and expectations and opportunity that swirl around us all day. These are things that confound our natural instincts to really connect with other people. And then there are those screens and the lives of others we live through vicariously through those screens. A chunk of all of our days is experienced through these framed, edited, and frictionless stories we find there. Television shows, movies, YouTube, TikTok videos, even tweets. These things are all really framed in specific ways, and they're scripted to maximize entertainment and to keep our attention. And they often prevent the awkwardness and real-life tension that exists within authentic social connections. But come on, that's not real. And maybe the obsession with those screens is one of the reasons it can feel harder to just sit and enjoy a drink or a cup of coffee with a friend. Let the time go by and just enjoy the company of those we care about. 
Sheila Liming is an associate professor of professional writing at Champlain College, and she's been thinking a lot about friendship, hanging out. In fact, her most recent book is titled Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time. And in it, she explores how hanging out and killing time with others is a skill. It's something that can be worked at and improved upon and something that we could derive real value from if all of us were a little better at it. She's here now to talk about the ways that we struggle to connect with each other and how we can get better at doing it. Professor Sheila Liming, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Good morning. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So tell, tell me, how are we hanging out right now? How do you see Americans spending time with one another today versus the way that we did even a few years ago, but certainly more uh, differently than we did a few decades ago? Well, in one sense, I think we're doing less hanging out than we might have been doing a few decades ago. And that's one thing I try to think through and explore in the book. And you did a very beautiful job of summarizing some of that in your lead up to it. So thank you for that. Um, I try to think about, you know, why it is that we're doing less of the kind of, I guess you could say, traditional hanging out that we might recognize as that sort of activity. The sort of unstructured time that you spend in the company of other people and killing that time in a very sort of loose and casual way that doesn't have too much of a set agenda placed upon it or too much of this idea that this needs to result in something. It needs to get me something or get me somewhere. And then on the other hand, I also think that we're doing more hanging out than ever, but we're doing it, of course, online or we're doing it through the uh, through the interfaces that we rely on to bring us into touch with the social world when we're otherwise feeling isolated from it. So that's social media and that's text messages and that's, you know, scrolling through the Internet. It's, it's various ways of hanging out on our computers and our phones and our devices, which constitutes hanging out because we are engaging in a form of social activity, but it's it's very different and it's much more highly mediated than the kind of social activity that takes place when we're hanging out in person. Yeah. So on the one hand, yes, we're hanging out more. On the other hand, we're hanging out a lot less. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw this out there because I know it's the thing that I would probably say uh, in response to that. And I think it's the thing that many, many other people would say as well. I just don't find the time to do what you're talking about. I'm busy. I'm working. I'm uh, planning. I'm trying to manage life and expectations and money and the future and all of those things. I can't find the space often to do what you're talking about, just to sit around with people I know and care about and kill time. Why is that not a good excuse. Yeah, that's a really great point. And time is of the essence where hanging out is is concerned because that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about killing time and we're talking about killing it in the company of other people without that kind of set agenda or objective being placed upon it. Um, it makes me think of there was a, a Canadian media theorist who many decades ago theorized that television is used not simply because people love to watch TV, and mind you, this was like in the 1980s, um, but he was saying that television is not just used for the purpose of enjoying a program, but also because it fits into our schedule. We have these 30 minute or hour breaks that we can use to plug in TV to kill time when we maybe don't have more time to devote to other things. And I would argue that in the modern world, you know, 40 some years later, um, we're doing something similar with the internet and with social media. That when we have a few minutes to spare, because it seems like rarely these days we have a whole hour, um, we sort of use social media to plug in these holes in our day and to um, bring us into contact with other people 
in a way that, you know, amounts to kind of leisure, except what we know, of course, from social media use is that it also achieves the opposite too. It, it leads to stress, it leads to anxiety, um, it leads to insecurity, especially we know in like teenagers and children. Um, and it often ends up achieving the opposite result. Instead of making us more relaxed or making us happier, it makes us more anxious um, about what we're doing in our own lives. So time is a big concern here. And I think part of what prevents us from hanging out is the inability to sort of claim that time for ourselves and to recognize that it's important to our social and personal well-being. Hmm. Talk about that importance, the things we get from being able to put ourselves in a position to hang out with our friends and how that might look different from how those benefits, I guess, might look different from the things that we do get from the interactions that most of us have uh, far more of today, which is these social interactions through technology, through our phones principally, uh, but through the platforms that are there to, to supposedly connect us. What's the, what's the difference and why is actual hanging out with our friends without much of an agenda uh, so much better for us? Well, I think one of the things that we get out of hanging out is a heightened sense of connection and a kind of opportunity to strengthen our social muscles, if you will, to keep them more active and more exercised, which means that when, you know, difficult things come along in our life, that those social muscles, if they're a little bit more robust, allow them to allow us to deal with those difficulties um, in a little bit more of a healthy way to bounce back a little bit. So I'm thinking a little bit here of like resilience, but also this idea of sort of like personal and social conditioning, that the more we do something, the better we get at it. And the less we do it, the harder it is to do when we try to get back into it. And I, I think that hanging out in social connection is a similar sort of thing. Um, in the book, one of the examples that I talk about is um, making music. Um, I'm a musician and I talk about hanging out as improvisation and making music with other musicians in an mm -hmm. improvisational setting mm -hmm. as being sort of similar. It's like you get a bunch of people in a room, you don't really, I mean, in a true jam session, you don't really have an agenda about like what you're supposed to play and you're not performing. It's not supposed to be perfect. It's not made to like, you know, put down on a record and sell or something. Instead, it's just this moment where you all exist together. And there's this kind of negotiation that goes on. And some of what happens in that setting for a musician is that you're going to be exposed to things that you don't see coming. And you're going to have to kind of like adjust. You're going to have to improvise. You're going to have to work on your skills. You're going to have to listen to other people to figure out where you can fit into the music. And I think that hanging out socially is really similar. It's all about improvisation and it's about strengthening our connections to each other through the act of improvisation and working on that social musculature in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking with Sheila Liming. She is an associate professor of professional writing at Champlain College and most recently authored a book titled Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time. We're talking about how we spend our time with people uh, who we consider our friends, people we consider close to us, how often we get to spend time with those people and what we get out of it. Uh, a lot of Americans say they're pretty lonely these days, even though they think they have uh, a lot of friends, they don't get a chance to connect with them nearly as much as they might want to. Uh, we're talking about ways to be better at that, ways to carve out more time to kill time. Uh, of course, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Call and tell us how you connect with close friends and family members these days. Do you have particular routines or rituals to stay in touch? Do you enjoy meeting new people? Uh, are there ways, uh, activities that you reach out to to do that, to expand the circle of people? that you can hang out with. Uh, also, give us a sense if you're struggling to meet people or to stay in contact 
with those you care about. Uh, tell us why you think it's harder to connect with people these days and to just hang out with your friends. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Let's start today with Pat in Birmingham. Pat, what's on your mind? Morning, Stephen. Yeah, I appreciate the topic. I, uh, as a as a school counselor, I guess I would say that I, I I think the way to really try and make sure you find time to do this is to reframe the concept. Uh, when you're with other people, you're not killing time; you're investing time. You're investing time in yourself. You're investing time in them. Um, this is an opportunity to demonstrate that you genuinely care about something, and that creates something to look forward to. Hmm. You know, ev- everybody when when they have an event that they're looking forward to, they make time for it. You know, if there's a concert you want to go to, you figure out how to get there. If there's a ball game you want to go to, you figure out how to make that happen. You make that happen because you care about it. And so I would argue that the way to do this is to look forward to the opportunity to invest time in yourself and in others in really meaningful ways. Yeah, I, I love the the reframing you're suggesting there, Pat, as, as opposed to talking about it in terms of, killing time, see it as spending time. Pat, before I go back to our guest, I want to have you talk a little about what you see with students. You said that you do work in a school uh, environment. How are young, younger people uh, navigating all of this? Uh, They've grown up in a world where uh, social media is the primary way I think uh, people interact with each other. What do you see uh, in the environment where you work? Yeah, well, I, to, in full disclosure, I am I am still a school counselor, but I ha- I'm not currently working at a school. But I can tell you, my colleagues have said that you know students are really uh, struggling a little bit on how to how to do the kinds of things you're talking about, uh, largely because of the social skills they had to use in in the COVID times, uh, where it was really the theme was one of of isolation and social media was it, uh, and so for a lot of students. You know they've they've missed the skill acquisition portion and and that's why I would hope that schools would give some thought to that uh, to try and infuse that more into the school curriculum hmm. uh, so that students can sort of pick up the skills that that COVID didn't exactly give them a chance to master themselves. Yeah, yeah, Pat, really appreciate the call uh, and the insight. Uh, Sheila Liming, you're also a college professor. Um, I wonder if you can give us some idea of what you see with with younger people and, and also react to what Pat is saying about the, the, the reframing of, of this question to not think of it as killing time, but as spending it. Certainly. And Pat, I like your reframing and agree wholeheartedly with that way of seeing things. Uh, The subtitle of my book is The Radical Power of Killing Time, but I will say that that phrase killing time is something of a straw man argument that I set up in the beginning of the book because I don't think it amounts to killing time. I think it does amount, as you say, to investing it. And I, I reject this idea that time that is spent without structure or without products in mind is wasted. That it's you know something that needs to get us ahead in life or else it's not worthwhile to us. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, but with regards to young people, you know, I teach college and I teach mostly students between the ages of 18 and 24. So I get them fresh out of high school. And I am noticing some of what Pat pointed out too, you know, some um some sort of like hesitancy or some sort of anxiety um, regarding in-person social interactions that certainly translates to my life in the classroom because a classroom as an educational experiment is really about hanging out. It's about providing a space where people are not just learning, of course, but exchanging ideas and talking and telling stories and maybe even encountering things that make them a little bit uncomfortable or you know, taking some risks that allow them to grow and learn a little bit as individuals. And that really depends on this sort of investment like Pat was talking about, this willingness to buy in and to care about what's happening there in that classroom space. Without that, things get pretty difficult. And that's what I'm witnessing these days coming out of the COVID pandemic is that those things have become more difficult in the classroom setting. Mm, Yeah. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Sheila Liming, author of Hanging Out, uh, The Radical Power of Killing Time. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Eric in Plymouth, Jimmy in Birmingham, we'll get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. Our guest today is Sheila Liming. She's an associate professor of professional writing at Champlain College and author of a book called Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time. And that's what we're talking about, hanging out with our friends with no particular agenda, just being with them, just spending time with them. More and more, I think it's harder to find the time to do that. Many of us have reasons or excuses that it can't happen. In the book, uh, Professor Liming talks about the ways that we ought to be prioritizing this kind of activity and the benefits that, of course, we get from it. We want to hear from you as well about your experiences right now with friendship and with connection, with hanging out. How often do you get to hang out with your friends? Really just hang out with them. Uh, If you don't find that time, What's in the way? What are the things that prevent you from being able to do it and to do it more often? Uh, Also give us a sense of what you get from the time you can spend with people with no particular agenda, just kind of being with them. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Before we go back to uh, our callers, Sheila, I want to talk a little about space, Uh, this idea of space and how much space we want and how much we cherish that space. It is a real driver in the culture. And you talk about how that idea kind of prevents us in some ways from hanging out with others. If you've got a big house with a big lawn, it's a little harder to get to know your neighbors or there's there are more barriers, I guess, to getting to know your neighbors than you know if you lived in a neighborhood where the houses were right next to each other. Certainly, yeah. Um, I'm thinking of when I first moved to Burlington, Vermont, which is where I live now. And when I moved here a couple of years ago, I was I was living in this apartment in the old north end of the city, which is a very older part of the city. It's very densely populated. And so even though the city itself is not that big, this is an area where your neighbors are right up in your face <laughs> and you know them and there's no way to avoid them. And I think of how even though that was during COVID, um, a time which was really hard to meet people, I I knew everybody on the block. Um, there was no way not to know everyone on the block because we were all so sort of, you know, entangled in each other's lives in a good way. You know, you might have to ask somebody to move their car or to turn down the volume of their radio because somebody's baby's sleeping or, you know, maybe your internet went out and you need to like use somebody else's and, and they would let you do that or something. But we knew each other and and it was it was nice as much as it was also sometimes maybe a little bit difficult and complicated to work through. But one of the things I explore in the book is how in the United States in particular, um, the expansion of private space sometimes works against the ability to hang out Mm. and to create social connection. It makes it harder for us to talk to our neighbors. It makes it harder for us to get outside our own little personal domestic bubble and enter into something that's a little bit more public and shared um, because there's there's often just not a lot of that shared space itself that we can enter into. So I think a lot in the book or I work through the idea of third places as they're called, which was a concept that was created by the sociologist Ray Oldenburg. And this basically names public um, or semi-public spaces that can be entered into 
for free or for low cost. Um, and where you're going to meet people who are not necessarily exactly like yourself. So it refers to this kind of intermixing that occurs in community spaces. And this could be like parks, libraries, coffee shops, you know, places like that where where people kind of come and go. And the whole point of these spaces is that there isn't a set agenda. You don't have to necessarily like um, do something in particular to prove your ability to be there, except for maybe purchase a cup of coffee or something like that. Um, and the issue as I see it and as I've tried to explore in the book is that these spaces are actually waning. We have fewer of them than ever and it makes it really difficult for us to say hang out with our neighbors or to enter into this kind of like common space with people that we wouldn't otherwise interact with. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go next to Eric in Plymouth. Eric, what's on your mind? Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, one of the things that has helped me in this space is scheduling things. You know, in my group, for example, like happy hours are things that we use to get together with no agenda. But nobody wants to be the one to reach out and say, hey, let's all get together on this day. Or, hey, so-and-so's got a birthday coming up. Let's get together on this day. And I find when I take the lead, I get a lot of acceptance, you know, a lot of participation. People want to do it. It's just a matter of somebody being the one to, you know, to initiate it. And it's, it's helped us tremendously. Hmm. So are, are you able to, I mean, give me a little more detail about what you're actually, what you're actually doing, how you're actually seeing these folks. Well, I just think about people I haven't seen in a while or like groups that haven't gotten together. You know, I have a lot of different social groups. Like I have tennis friends, I have hockey friends and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then I think of a date and a place that might be ideal for everyone. And I just start a group chat and say, hey, everyone, it's been a long time. You guys want to get together for happy hour Friday at six o'clock at this place. And I'm telling you, when I do that, I get over a 75% participation rate. And I usually reach out to about like five or more people at a time. Mm. And that's how we do it. It's just um, getting a date on the calendar, getting the group that you want to see together, and then um, people say yes. It's, it's very rare that people don't want to do it. It's just just making it happen is the hard part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric, really appreciate the call, and, and congrats on figuring out a way uh, to connect <laughs> more with, with people. You know, I've got a group of high school friends. Now we, We've now been friends for more than – 40 years. Uh, and we have a regular day of the week set aside to to just go have drinks. I, I've got to say that uh, I, I don't make it as often as I should, although I am making it more frequently uh, now than I than I used to. But the, the thing that uh, jumped out to me that you were talking about, Eric, is the group chat that you start to get it going. Uh, we have a group chat, uh, this group of, of people from my high school, uh, guys, because uh, it's an all-guys school. Uh, it's a big group uh, on the chat, and, and then, you know, different, different factions of it, I guess, show up uh, for, the Thursday, for the Thursday gathering. But this idea of leveraging social to create real connection or the opportunity for real connection is, is, is kind of interesting. I mean, it, it, social in some ways pulls us apart. It can be used to pull us back together in the real world, Sheila. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that Eric is doing that. I think we all need that social organizer type person in our lives. Um, and sometimes we just need to be that person, right? We need to be the person who's inviting everybody out. I'm I'm very grateful for the people like that that I have in my own life. And I try to remember sometimes that it's important for me to act in that role too, to try to take the risk or take the initiative to go ahead and invite people. And, you know, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But, you know, most of the time it works out pretty well and the risks are pretty low and pretty minimal. So you might as well just go ahead and do it. Um, but I, I appreciate um, that, you know, there's a kind of investment there that's going on and that, you know, Eric is thinking about those things and trying to privilege them. Yeah. Eric, again, thanks so much for the call and the insight. Let's go to Harry in Sterling Heights. Harry, welcome to the show. Yeah, very good topic. Years ago, I don't recall the name of the book correctly. It was called Bowling on Tuesday where guys get together every Tuesday night and they bowl. And I experienced that in my in my history of my life, is that going out there, bowling, and then we get golf outings together, we go to Tiger games together. Something just you got to be designated to to see somebody every week and have fun. I'm managing a boys' little league team right now, and I can't wait. The parents come out there, there's no phones, <laughs> no TV, people talk, 
Uh, we experienced and I'm on an email this morning, people are suggesting what you do for the softball team. And somebody's got to take the initiative. That's all. Yeah. So, so Harry, you started with the reference to a book. And I think the name of that book actually is Bowling Alone. It's by Robert Putnam. I remember uh, I remember that book quite fondly, in fact. And maybe you're thinking of another book, but that's the one that, that, that came to mind for me. And it was about this coming apart and tearing apart of social fabric uh, and the decline of social institutions that are meant to to bring us together. It's published a long time ago now, um, in the late 90s. Uh, that's that's a long time ago in, in real time, but also uh, an even longer ago time, it seems, in technology. Uh, Sheila, I wonder what you make about that 30-year stretch now that we've been kind of struggling with all of this. Lots has changed, but this this issue uh, remains with us, uh, and, and it's maybe stronger now than it was then. Yeah, certainly. Um, as you point out, and as Harry points out, like I am not the first to bring up this subject. In fact, it, many people have been talking about it for decades now, Robert Putnam being one of them, um, the sociologist Sherry Turkle being another, who in 2011 published a book called Alone Together, um, you know, pointing out a similar kind of issue. I think what's changed since then is that we have a more kind of entrenched reliance on some of these digital tools. So sort of like we were talking about with the last caller, you know, once upon a time, our relationships would begin primarily in person with people who we saw or interacted with on a kind of daily basis. And then maybe even in the age of the internet, they might transfer over to some sort of digitized space, you know, whether that's Facebook or that's a group chat or something like that. But these days it, it tends to often work the other way around, that our interactions with people often begin online or through digital spaces. That's where we meet people or that's where we get to know each other first before we spend time in person. And then they sometimes, but not always, transfer over to these in-person interactions. I think it's really important, obviously, that they do that, that they make the jump to those physical spaces, you know, that we're able to get out there and hang out with each other at a ball game or whatever it happens to be so that we can make that jump together. But I think the issue is that for many people, that's not happening. And so the digital space becomes the end of the road, not the beginning of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking with Sheila Liming about connection and friendship and hanging out. Also continue to hear from you on social and on the phones. Jimmy in Birmingham, Elena and Peter in Detroit, Jill in Rochester Hills. We'll hear from all of you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. Listening to Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. We're talking today with Sheila Liming, who is an assistant professor of professional writing at Champlain College and recently the author of Hanging Out the Radical Power of Killing Time. We're talking about how we do more of that, just hang out with our friends. Also, want to hear from you, the listeners, about how you're hanging out with your friends, how you're able to find time or make time to just be with people who uh, we get something out of. Uh, we get something out of their company. We get something about out of the idea of taking time, I think, to be with people, taking time away from other things just to hang out. Uh, give us a sense of how that plays out in your world right now, how busy you are, and where you're able to find the opportunity just to do nothing with people who are close to you. 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, you can uh, join the conversation that way. Let's go to Matt 
in Milan. Matt, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm calling with a different slant to this um, because uh, those with mental illness can find it uh, a particular, uh, particularly difficult barrier um, to reaching out uh, to friends and uh, hmm. can even find it um, difficult to keep friends um, in their lives. Yeah. Uh, Matt, are you, are you speaking of personal experience here and are you comfortable sharing that with us? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I suffer from bipolar. And so it, um, there are times where I've burned those friendships in the past. And so I have no longer those, those friend groups to access, um, for hanging out, you know, and, uh, and it's even more difficult at times to, um, create new connections. Hmm. Yeah, Matt, I I really appreciate the call and your candor, and and of course, wish you uh, you know luck in the future and and trying to establish those communities. I know it can be hard, and and you're right, uh, mental health uh, challenges uh, are 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 barriers. Uh, Sheila, we haven't talked much about these kinds of of barriers to to hanging out or or social connection. I wonder what you make of of Matt's dilemma. Yeah, thanks, Matt. That's a much needed perspective on the issue. And um, I also have some family members who suffer from bipolar, some pretty close family members. So um, I have I've seen the struggles uh, that happen around this issue for them in particular, too. Um, So I think that's a really important perspective. Um, One thing I try to talk about at the book in the book is that sometimes where hanging out fails or where it goes wrong is when we place a lot of expectations about how it needs to happen and how it needs to be perfect or really, really good. And I think sometimes that leads to disappointment, to conflicts, and sometimes even to this feeling that's like, well, it didn't work out. I can't ever try that again. And one thing I actually try to explore is the way that we build connections with each other. And if we do them often enough or if we work at them enough then we get multiple chances to come back and to try this again. And that it doesn't have to be the end of a relationship or the end of an interaction. If something doesn't work out in you know an ideal way or if it doesn't work out perfectly, that we can return to that interaction. So in the end of the book, I, I talk about a fight that I had with a friend, um, a friend of mine. Uh, we were sitting in a bar together. We were traveling together and we had this fight that like felt big enough for a moment that I thought it might be the end of our relationship. And we'd known each other for a very long time. Mm. But because we had time in that moment to sort of hang out with each other, we were traveling, we didn't have anywhere else to be at the moment. It was like we just kind of committed to this idea that's like, no, let's let's stay here. Let's order another round of drinks. Let's see if we can talk through this and if we can get somewhere else. And we did. And we went back to being friends at the end of the day. And like everything's fine between us now, you know. And I, I think that's something that becomes very difficult, say, in the world of social media, where you can always end a conversation by just walking away from someone or ignoring them or blocking them or acting like they don't exist anymore. And we don't have those same abilities in our in-person interactions. And it's really important to remember that we have the ability to give people second chances. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to read a couple social media comments. Uh, They come from Mark Wallace, who is uh, the CEO of the Detroit Riverfront Conservancy, which is the organization that has absolutely uh, transformed uh, the riverfront here in Detroit from a uh, former kind of dirty industrial space, which is what it was when when I was growing up here, uh, to a to a public park. I mean, it is it is uh, a gorgeous and really welcoming space here in Detroit. But Mark says shared physical spaces are essential for the welfare of uh, any community. The Detroit Riverfront Conservancy has always focused on bringing people together for low-cost, no-cost events where people can gather. We need these moments to recognize our shared humanity, bring everybody, continues. Uh, The research of William Julius Wilson also comes to mind. Social capital is real. Having community connections, especially episodic and loose connections, can have a profound impact on the quality of life. Uh, I I, want to interject those into the conversation uh, Sheila, because you talk about third places, places that allow for an opportunity to hang out in the book. You've talked a little about that uh, so far, but but I want to go back to that idea 
uh, talk about what these third places are and why they are so good for spending time with one another. Yeah, that's a great point, and I pre I appreciate those perspectives too, and the connection to William Julius Wilson, um, which is a great one. Um, third places agreed are are very important for building social connection, and also I would say for functioning democracy, for basically just bringing people into a social space where they don't. Um, have to assert a right to be there because it's public space and you're just you're allowed to be there. So it's not the same as saying entering into somebody else's home where you feel like you're a guest and you know there are rules and you might not feel comfortable about you know what that means for your existence there. Um, third places are you know provide spaces where any of us can sort of enter into and exist in a very sort of low cost, casual, improvisational way, and that's really important I think for strengthening democratic relations and strengthening social ties between people who exist in a community neighbors, friends, etc. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up with the riverfront there in Detroit. Um, I think it's really important to have those kinds of spaces in public. Um, one problem, of course, if you live in a place like Detroit, or if you live where I live now in Vermont, or if you live where I used to live in North Dakota, is the weather, the weather. right? Um, <laughs> some of those some of those spaces are only accessible during certain months of the year. And so we need to make sure we have indoor ones too, um, where we can try to do that. And that's where things get tricky because um, in Indoor spaces is harder to access in that kind of public way. Um, once upon a time, we we had shopping malls that served this purpose, but shopping malls are very much on the decline these days, and those that are left tend not to provide very much indoor space anymore. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Jill in Rochester Hills. Jill, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? Good. Good, good. Yeah, great, great topic. Uh, yeah, my uh, my thought was around uh, dog walking. I, uh, um, <laughs> I I I take care of my uh, daughter's dog when she's working during the week, so we uh, we walk in Royal Oak, which is where she lives. But uh, you know, I've got a network of people there that I've met over the last seven years. So, I mean, you know, we uh, talk about stuff, trade uh, information, et cetera, et cetera, and then I. I go walking on uh, Belle Isle, and I have a little. Uh, there's a little group there, and then I'll I'll, I'll take them, and we'll go walking on Metro Beach. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's uh, maybe an excuse to get out and go places. Uh, but if you have an animal, it's almost a natural where people reach out. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. It's so it's it's a great it's a great <laughs> thing, and I I had no idea. Uh, when I started this endeavor, that would be that much fun, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I'm a pet owner, and 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 I live in a neighborhood where you can tell it's spring when you run into more people <laughs> out walking their dogs. Uh, you know, the the when once the weather really turns, and and you're right, it's a way to to kind of connect with with people that. Uh, uh, that that you wouldn't have. I mean, it's an extemporaneous way to to to, to kind of build communities that you might not otherwise uh, have access to. Uh, Janet from Source Booksellers, a close friend of the show, which is kind of right around the corner from the studio here in uh, in Midtown Detroit, she called and said that bookstores are a third place. Uh, certainly, Source is a place that that people like to gather. They're great there at. Uh, bringing people together to talk about uh, to talk about books and to talk about policy and issues, uh, they they really focus on on great nonfiction books there at uh, Source Book Sellers. That's a really great uh, point as well. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Janet, for calling in as well. Let's go next to Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to the show. Hello, thank Hi. you so much for taking my call. Mm -hmm. um, I. I, I resonate really with so much of what you guys are saying and talking about today. I, I really like this topic. Um, uh, first, I really have to say I really resonate with what um, what your guest said about how easy it is for people to kind of just ghost people and, and you know, uh, social media has really made people not want to work through differences or communicate. And, um, you know, I've had several friends just kind of disappear from my life when conflict arises because they don't want to work through it. They'd rather just kind of, you know, start fresh with someone new, you know? And so, um, so that's, that's a kind of unfortunate. Um, but, uh, but what I called about was, um, you know, I have friends that 
we will, if we have a day off, and but we have things that we need to get done, you know, I like uh, I, I like that I have friends where we can go and run errands together, and we can kind of kill two birds with one stone, so to speak, and <laughs> uh, maybe go grocery shopping together, or you know, I'll, I'll accompany someone to their haircut, or I'll go, you know, we'll go get um, nails done or whatever. You know, that's like a kind of a nice thing where we can get things done, but we can also have that good quality time together. And then I also have friends that will just show up and be like, "Hey, are you are you at home?" and you know, just drop by for you know 30 minutes or or 45 or an hour and and just to just to talk and and just sit and you know catch up so i i really cherish both of those things and i i i love i love everything you guys are saying yeah uh, elena i really really appreciate uh, the call and those thoughts uh sheila so we've heard about dog walking and running errands <laughs> uh, and then bookstores i mean in, in some way these are kind of extemporaneous opportunities to, to to build community and then to interact with people they are uh, places that we if we leaned more into an interest or uh, or something that that uh, is kind of calling our attention, we might find more social connection, and and uh, it's just another way to to kind of push back against uh, the the obsession with the places that don't offer us those kind of uh, those kind of real social opportunities. Yeah, um, I think what Elena and Jill's comment have in common here, right, is this idea of the kind of low-level task that we can accomplish socially with other people around us, whether it's walking the dog, which needs to get done, or it's shopping for groceries or running some, you know, basic errands or something like that, but doing it in somebody else's company, um, which, you know, puts us in the position to just kind of, like you said, extemporize, invent our social relations with that person while we're also getting something done that needs to get done. I, I love that. Um, it, it is also something that requires like a little bit of intimacy. You have to know somebody pretty well before you can enter into that kind of uh, dynamic, but I, I think if you can make it happen, that that's so essential for the kind of hanging out that I'm talking about. Um, and with relation to the comment that you had about bookstores too, I just want to mention that um, the first place I ever heard the term third place, um, even before I'd read the work of Rand Oldenburg, was in relation to a bookstore that I grew up very close to in Washington State, where I was born, that's called Third Place Books, and it's still mm. out there. So that was the first place that I ever heard that term before, before I knew its you know relevance to sociology. And, and that store, which is still there today, it totally functions as a third place in bringing community together. So bookstore is absolutely essential to this as well. Yeah. Uh, but before we have to end the show, I do want to give you a chance to talk about the things that you believe would be different about the rest of our lives and uh, about our nation, our society, if more people were able to invest more in these spaces, these spaces where connection, where real connection uh, can take place. Uh, what, what, what kind of things do you imagine? Well, I think one thing that hanging out on the internet has done is that it has made us more uncomfortable with the idea of discomfort itself. Um, because when we're hanging out on the internet, you know, like we've been talking about, you do have this level of control. You can sort of shape the kinds of interactions that you have. You can shape what you're looking at and what opinions you're exposed to. And if you don't like them, you can just sort of turn away and, and reject those ideas or ignore them. That doesn't extend, though, into our daily interactions in person and in real life. And I think that discomfort is an essential part of real life and an essential part of a functioning democracy, too. Just this feeling that not everybody is always going to think the same thing. Not everyone is always going to agree with you. And that isn't necessarily a personal attack on you if somebody else you know, feels something or, or, or views a situation differently than you. So with regards to your big question there, Stephen, I would say that one thing that might be different in our culture or in our nation, mm -hmm. if we were able to kind of you know, embrace this idea a little bit more, would be maybe this resilience with discomfort a bit more and this, this willingness to tolerate or to even experience um, discomfort in public scenarios without necessarily taking it personally or feeling like it's an attack on us um, that, you know, needs to be um, ingested in that way. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that would be an important uh, shift in, uh, in in the culture <laughs> if we could uh, accomplish that. Uh, let's go next to Peter in Detroit. 
uh, Peter, we've only got about a minute and a half left, but uh, go ahead. Stephen, I'll say this quickly. Uh, and I see, wonder what you, your professor thinks about this. I, I blame the play date for some of what we're talking about here <laughs> because that turned <laughs> play time into this structured time. Mm. And, you know, I grew up, I'm on the tail end of the baby boom. I grew up with go outside and play, and we did our own thing <laughs> That's right. until the streetlights came on. <laughs> but with the play date, it's got to be a structured thing, and it's teaching us into adulthood that everything's got to be structured. Yeah. Uh, Peter, that's such a wonderful point. And, you know, I I grew up, I'm a Gen Xer and same thing, go outside and play. There was not the play date, I think, until somewhere around the 90s. But but that does mark a, you know, a a cultural shift away from the idea of just free time and uh, not having to ascribe a reason to be, you know, with other people uh, doing something. Sheila, we've got about a minute left, but uh, go ahead and respond to Peter. Um, I'm glad you brought that subject up, Peter. In the book, I kind of start from this provocation that play is to children as hanging out is to adults. Mm -hmm. It is a form of improvisational activity. And in both cases, that improvisation is a key component because what you're doing in the context of play or in the context of hanging out then is, you know, you're not just um, focusing on getting something done or accomplishing something, but you're also, you know, experimenting. You're, You're taking risks. You're roving around the neighborhood and figuring things out and meeting new people and, you know, getting into trouble or whatever it happens to be. Um, But yeah, I I think that improvisational quality is key to either activity. And if we try to take an overly structured approach to either one, then we lose out on that improvisational learning. Yeah. Okay. Sheila Liming, uh, really great to have you here to talk with us about friendship and social connection and really great read. Uh, that your book is hanging out, uh, The Radical Power of Killing Time. Thanks so much for being with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. It was great hanging out. Yeah, that's right. Okay, that is going to do it for us this week. Come back Monday for more Detroit Today. We're going to talk with an author about rampant anti-Black discrimination that goes on in the American banking and financial institutions. Emily Flitter, a reporter for the New York Times, has a new book out about it. A lot of it talks about the city of Detroit. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.